Oh, good morning. Merry Christmas. Uh, So we've been talking about names uh, because this particular passage talks about some of the prophecies about Jesus and what he shall be called. So I, uh, you know, we talked about what the most popular names and then we also talked about um, weird names. And today I want to present to you the world's longest name officially used by a person. This was in 1904. Um, You can put the name up there. It is Adolph Blaine, Charles, David, Earl, Frederick, Gerald, Hubert, Irvin, John, Kenneth, Lloyd, Martin, Nero, Oliver, Paul, need a breath, Quincy, Randolph, Sherman, Thomas, Uncas, Victor, William, Xerxes, Yancey, Zeus, Wolfeschlagen, Steinhausen, Berdorft. I like the last one the best, of course. So you know you're in trouble when your mom's like, Adolph Blaine, Charles David, but anyway, can you believe this? This guy had this, this as his actual name. So that's the, the longest name in the history. But we're talking about a name, the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is indeed Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He's the soon incoming King. He's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit, and that is who we worship. And today we're talking about Him, and we're going to specifically focus on the Prince of Peace. He shall be called the Prince of Peace. Um, One of the traditions that I particularly love to do, and probably not a lot of people do, um, but I love to go every year to Handel's Messiah Sing. Anybody else? Does anybody else enjoy that? Next year we should go. Um, I went by myself this year to the Abravanel Hall, and it was, it was just epic. So you sing with the Utah Symphony, and then they have these four soloists, and it's amazing. Handel's Messiah was actually um, written... Well, let me give you a little background. So George Friedrich Handel... He had a stroke in 1737. He was a composer. He lived all over. He spent time in London. He was actually born in Germany, but he spent time in Italy working with opera. He, um, he moved to London. He worked all over the place, and he kind of struggled because he, I think he had like an internal... This is what I'm reading between the lines. I, haven't, I didn't actually see this stated, but, but throughout all of my research, it seems like what was happening was that he was having like this internal struggle. He couldn't decide if he wanted to do um, secular music or sacred music. So the difference between that is secular means it's not about God. Sacred means it is about God. And I really feel like he was really struggling in his life because he had to make a living. Um, And so he had a lot of ups and downs in his life. But he had a stroke in 1737, and I really believe that at that point, he made the decision that he wanted to honor God. I mean, some of the quotes by him were just fantastic. So he met this guy named Charles Jennings, and, and Charles Jennings had written this, what's called a libretto, which is like the, the vocal score for a piece of music. So he had the lyrics, essentially. He's the Bernie Taupin of the Elton John Bernie Taupin. Um, and so he, he wrote this, whole, this, this uh, whole oratorio called Messiah, just the lyrics, and he asked Handel if Handel would put it to music. So, the, so Messiah, it's not called the Messiah, by the way. If anybody calls it the Messiah, it's not. It's Handel's Messiah. And... Um, 
It's about the prophecies concerning Jesus. The first half is about, or first third is about prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah and his birth. And then the second half is about the life of Jesus, or second third is about the life of Jesus. And then the last third is about his return. It was originally performed at Easter. Um, it's usually done now, though. They do the first third at Christmas time. And it's, it's the most common oratorio, which means kind of like, you know, kind of like a opera with all kinds of different choruses and without the acting. It's just the singing. But the craziest thing, you all know, you all know at least one song I know out of um, Messiah, and that's the Hallelujah Chorus. You all know that one, right? Um, so what happened was Handel got this, what's called the libretto, so he got the score, and he went into his room, and he, they said that he didn't come out of his room for 24 days. They'd leave food for him. He didn't eat it. All he did was transcribe this. He wrote the music for this. Now, the interesting thing was that he was already blind, and he was paralyzed in his right hand because of his stroke, which I always thought it was the left. But after he wrote the Hallelujah, Hallelujah Chorus, he told a friend, he said, I did think I did see all of heaven before me and the great God himself. After he wrote the Hallelujah Chorus, and you can sense it, can't you? There's this, this fantastic house, I think I told you about it last week, with lights off Wasatch, and they do the Hallelujah Chorus with you know all the lights. Um, it's, it's in like three different houses, and they have the Hallelujah Chorus, and every time that comes up there, I just marvel, because it is singing scripture. It's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So in April of 1742, uh, this premiered. So it was an Easter performance, but it performed in Dublin and the Hallelujah Chorus. When, when King George II heard the Hallelujah Chorus, he stood up because some, some writers or some scholars have said that he stood up because he recognized that God was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the protocol was that anytime the king stood up, everyone else had to stand up. So that is why today, when people play the hallelujah chorus, audiences stand. You always stand for that, which I think it's amazing because it's, it's taken right out of the Bible and it is such a worshipful song, so worshipful. Uh, when I first met Eric, my husband, he when we met, let's just say cultures collided. And I cannot tell you how many arguments we had over what was more legit, classical music or modern music. And because um, I went to a college where, like, as far as they were concerned, there was nothing decent even written after the year, you know, 1900 or something. I mean, they, they were very, very classically driven. And I have a degree in music. And so, you know, this was like my jam. This is like my favorite thing. So I wanted to take Eric to, to go see this or hear it. <laughs> First of all, okay, so you know, this, this crowd, they tend to be just a little, you know, <laughs> proper, shall we say. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. They're snooty. They're really snooty. So um, anyway, but Eric was not used to this whole culture and and there's, there's like a really common uh, rule that once a piece of music has started, you're not allowed to, to come in or to leave. 
so, so we get there, and Eric was always one. He would always drop me off at the front door, and then he would go park. He was, he was a gentleman that way. And so he, he was going to park, and <laughs> he walks in during the beginning of the first piece, and he's like, excuse me, excuse, excuse, excuse. And these snooty people were like, ugh. Because, you know, he had a mullet. I mean, and he was <laughs> dressed in jeans, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so, so you know, I brought my, my score, which is, you know, like the music that you read. And so I brought my score, and we're, we're standing there singing, and, and he's trying to sing along with, ah, you know. <laughs> he finally got to the point where he just looks at me, he's like, Oh, he was so funny. (laughs) Oh, that was so funny. So now whenever I whenever I sing it, I always remember him just singing in my ear. (laughs) So funny. So okay, so let me let me set this up a little bit. So so this particular passage, um, as we've discussed. So Israel was being pummeled by their enemies. And they were, it says they were walking around in darkness and in deep distress. It was saying, but a light is going to come. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. So this was a promise that was written almost 700 years before the coming of Christ to the Israelites. And as you know, the history of Israel, which incidentally Israel represents us. The struggles of the Israelites are us. I know that's not grammatically correct, but Israel represents us us. The nation represents us as people and as individuals and our struggles and the spiritual battles that we're involved in and all of these things. And so when these people are walking in this deep darkness, it says that a light will shine. And actually a few chapters earlier in Isaiah 7, it says that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you, you imagine, so the Israelites, they, they go their entire lives, they're hearing Messiah is coming and he is going to save the world. He is going to take away all of our pain and all of our distress and all of our brokenness. So Israel was yearning for the coming of Messiah. So they'd get these promises and they're thinking, yeah, because in the same way that when, when I read the Bible, I'm thinking, yeah, that that can happen now. I'd be okay with the coming of Christ right now. And the Israelites were longing for it. They were yearning for it. So when they get this promise, this is like a sweet promise to them that he's going to be the wonderful counselor. He's going to be the one who is going to be this perfect um, advocate and this guide and this one who is going to direct us and lead us which it says in John 14, Jesus is the Holy Spirit. It says that he will lead us and guide us into all truth. You know, the the counselor, the wonderful counselor, isn't the one who's just like sitting there, hey, tell me all your problems and I'll, you know, write you a prescription. It's about this counselor who sits and guides us and is intimately acquainted with everything we do and is walking with us. And it even says, there's a, a passage that says that, that he even stands there and says, okay, go to the right, go to the left, 
If you have a relationship with him, he will speak to you. And, and I firmly believe that I can hear his voice. I firmly believe that it is still possible for us to hear the voice of the Lord when we are totally seeking after him. Because it says that if you seek him, you will find him. And if you seek after the Prince of Peace, you will experience peace. I know that it's possible. So I'm going to talk today about the Christmas story because it's Christmas. And I'm going to cover one element of it. Um, And that is the amount of stress that takes place in this story. I'm going to give you some examples of some of the people who were completely stressed out and how Jesus demonstrated that he was the Prince of Peace in their lives and how he still does that today. He still brings peace to those who serve him and those who know him and those who seek after him. So we're going to start out with a guy named Zechariah. Zechariah, it says, was shaken and overwhelmed. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, it says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary. Oh, let me give you a little background. So Zechariah was a a priest. He was a devout man, it says. He and his wife, Elizabeth. And they didn't have any children because Elizabeth was barren. And so they were older. And um, it says, while he was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was, say this with me, shaken and overwhelmed. Okay, ready? Anybody here shaken and overwhelmed? This is a perfect season for it, right? It says he was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw the angel. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so now imagine this. Elizabeth has probably already gone through menopause. It's probably, or either that or she's, you know, she's, she's old. In other words, she's, she's beyond the childbearing years. And yet the Lord was so gracious to them and so faithful. But, but Zechariah didn't believe it. He had his doubts. And he even says in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. And the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. He who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So Zechariah is in the temple. Remember, he gets his visitation from this angel. And then because of his doubt, he's mute. And he can't speak. He didn't believe. He didn't believe what the angel was telling him. So after, um, after John was born, then he came out and they said, well, he came out and they said, what's the baby's name? And he said, and, and they said, John. And he's like, I mean, everybody's like, wait, you don't, name, you don't name somebody some obscure thing. I mean, there were systems for how you named your child. And no one in his family line had ever been named John. But then he became um, unmuted (laughs) and he said, his name is John. And so that's John the Baptist. John who came and said, you know, when he baptized Jesus, 
He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is that same John the Baptist. And it says he will come in the spirit of Elijah. So he prepared the way. And this is what Zechariah said to his son, John. In verse 76, he says, you, my little son, will be called a prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. Think back, this prophecy in Isaiah, where it says that a light is going to come. And it says, you are going to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. That was what John the Baptist came to do, was to prepare the way to guide people to the path of peace, which ultimately only comes through knowing God, through knowing our maker. And the only way we can know our maker is through the sacrifice that he sent in his son, Jesus, who went to the cross and took the forgiveness or or provided forgiveness for us when he took all of our sins upon himself. That's the good news. And so John is a guy who's setting up the path. So Zechariah was, was stressed out. He was super stressed out until suddenly he realized that what the angel said was true. So he knew at this point now that the Messiah was coming because actually after Mary found out she was pregnant, she went into Elizabeth. We're going to talk about Mary next. She, it said of her, she was confused and disturbed Uh, Verse 28, Gabriel said to Mary, okay, so Mary's just going about her business, doing doing her chores or whatever. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, contrary to popular belief, the reason that Mary was favored wasn't because she was a virgin. Okay, that was no big deal. I mean, that wasn't like some amazing feat. She was a virgin, but she was favored because of her devotion and because of her faith, and because of, because of her, I guess, her um, open spirit. She was open to the things of the Lord. And so it says here in verse 29, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Don't you want that to be said of you? You have found favor with God. I love that. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever and ever and his kingdom will never end. Now, we're used to this story. You know, we hear this story year after year and we're like, oh yeah, an angel visited Mary and then she found out she was going to have a baby even though she was a virgin. I mean, when you think about this and the amount of stress that this must have caused this young girl and her family, because it was a disgrace to have a baby out of wedlock. However, it says Mary responded in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So Mary knew that even though she couldn't figure it out because she knew the stories of the Old Testament, how, how the Israelites came up to the Red Sea when the Egyptians were chasing them and they had no way of escape and God parted the sea. She knew the stories. She knew the story of Noah's Ark. She knew all of these stories, how, 
I, I once heard a saying, every testimony starts with a test. And she is our example here because she, she says, okay, you know what? If you're coming on behalf of God, I believe it. I believe it. So then she has to deal with Joseph. And it says about Joseph, well, it doesn't actually say that Joseph is confused and disturbed, but you can kind of read it into the text when you read in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1. So, this is, so the stories are in Luke 2 and uh, starting in Luke 1 and 2. Um, it says, Joseph, to whom Mary was engaged, was a righteous man, and he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So, so when a woman, if, if they would ever find out that the person that they were betrothed to or engaged to, if they ever found out that they weren't pure, that they had ever been with another man, they would have to put them away in disgrace, and they would not marry him. But Joseph doesn't get enough credit because here he is. It says he didn't want to disgrace her, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He didn't want to take her out to the public square and have her stoned, as was the custom. He didn't want to expose her. He loved her. I really believe that Joseph loved Mary. It says, and in verse 20 of Matthew 1, it says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Can you say that? He will save people from their sins. Verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Remember, in Isaiah chapter 7, it said, the virgin will conceive a child. Virgin, conceive a child. Those two things shouldn't be in the same sentence. So this is unprecedented, but, the, but Joseph would have known the scriptures too. And he would have known that there had been a prophecy given that a virgin would conceive and have a child, and she will give birth to this to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. So Joseph, because he too was a devout man, it says in verse 24, when he woke up, he, he was visited in a dream. It says, when he woke up, the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Despite the customs, despite how he should have put her away, he should have rejected her, he should have, you know, given her over to the punishment that she was due to receive, but instead he believed. Joseph too, he was a devout man and he believed. So Mary stressed out, Zechariah stressed out, and now Mary and Joseph again, this is one of those stories that's like, you read it so many times and when you read it, you think, oh yeah, they went on this trip. She was on a donkey. No, she was in labor. She's on this donkey. It says in Luke 2, 2, it says, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. Kind of like the census they're doing now, right? So they wanted to count all of the people. So that is why they had to go to Bethlehem, which is where it was prophesied Messiah would be born. Uh, tomorrow night at the Christmas Eve service, I'm going to be talking a little bit about some of the prophecies that point to Jesus and the odds of, of them actually being able to have taken place, even one or three or eight of them. I mean, it's, it's astonishing. 
But here, they have to go to Bethlehem. So that sets it up for the prophecy to be fulfilled. So it says, all Joseph, all, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in, Gal- in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So now, how many of you ladies have had babies? So think about this. You're 40 weeks pregnant. You're taking a trip on a donkey. Okay? Think about this. I mean... A journey on a donkey would be difficult anyway. So you're 40 weeks pregnant. You're ready to give birth. So they get to this town and there's no room. So then, so then the, the innkeeper finally acquiesces. I think Joseph had to do some pretty smooth talking to say, hey, you don't understand. My wife is going to have a baby. You've got to have somewhere we can stay. So the innkeeper's like, okay, you can stay out here in the stable with the animals. Imagine this. Imagine the amount of stress. Just, just childbirth in and of itself can be really stressful, but here it's in the stable. And, you know, you see all the, the cute little nativity scenes and, you know, and, and Mary and Joseph, they just look so serene and everything. But it's like, imagine what they went through before they got to that point. This was a stressful situation. So then there are the shepherds. And it says of the shepherds, they were terrified. Luke 2, 8, it says that night the shepherds were staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, again, here's an angel. Angels bring a lot of stress is what I'm finding in through this. <laughs> suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were what? They were terrified. Again, we read the story and we kind of gloss over this and we're just like, oh yeah, the shepherds were out in the field and then suddenly there's an... It's like, no, imagine. You're just minding your own business, playing your little harp or whatever, playing Candy Crush. I don't know what they were doing out there, but it's nighttime and suddenly this angel shows up. That would be terrifying. It says, so they were terrified. But again, the angel... as as normal, he has to reassure them. And he says, don't be afraid. He says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Again, I don't know how educated these shepherds were. They, They probably weren't super educated because they were shepherds. And so that means that at the age of 14, that was probably when their lot was was determined. But growing up, if they were, if they were, at all um, devout, they would have known the story and the prophecy that said that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And it says it's a city of David and you'll recognize him by this sign. This is how, this is how you'll know. It says you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. A manger is where it's a trough, essentially. It's where animals eat. So this would have been very strange that the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the the Messiah that they had yearned for was going to be born in a trough. 
And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. There are different versions of this, but ultimately what this is saying is that for those who know him, for those who are called by his name, for those who have been forgiven, those who belong to the Lord, there is a promise. And that promise is that we don't have to be stressed out. We don't have to be disturbed. We don't have to be confused. Even though both Zechariah and Mary both said, wait, how is this going to happen? Zechariah asked the question, why? Because of his doubt. But Mary just was kind of like, so go back to that first part again. I've never slept with a man. How, how is this going to be? Right? And sometimes the things that we go through, the things of life stress us out. They cause us to be distressed, confused. Sometimes we're terrified. You know, when there are health issues that strike or financial problems or the loss of a job or relationship issue, issues, we can be distressed and, and disturbed and stressed and confused and terrified. But the promise <clears throat> for those who belong to him is that we can have peace. That's a common theme throughout this whole story is, this, is the message of peace. And I love the fact that it's Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because he is royalty. It's only stated one time in the Bible, this saying, Prince of Peace. It's only that one time in this passage in Isaiah 9. But he was royalty. He is the king of all kings. And he is the Prince of Peace. So you don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to be upset or terrified, but that's our natural go-to. That is our natural tendency in our flesh. In our natural tendency, we, we go to those places, don't we? Don't we? We get stressed out. We get anxious. We get confused. We get terrified. We get disturbed. But he's saying, you don't have to. You can know me the wonderful counselor. It's saying when you know him who is the wonderful counselor who will lead you and guide you into all truth, the mighty God, the one who holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand. It says all the nations are like a, like a speck or a drop in the bucket. He holds all the nations like one little grain of sand. That is how massive our mighty God is. And he's saying, if you know me, do you really need to be stressed and disturbed and confused and perplexed? No, because I will give you peace. Let's applaud the Lord for that. Yes, thank you, Lord. Woo! Okay, so the shepherds believed. It says in Luke 15, or 2, verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. We have to see this thing that's happened that the Lord told us about. This is the coming of the Messiah, the one who is going to bring deliverance from their slavery and their bondage. And what about us? Are you shaken and overwhelmed? Are you disturbed? Are you confused? 
Are you, are you scared? Are you anxious? Jesus says in verse four, uh, John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is saying, I, I don't give peace the way the world does. It, in the world, peace just means the absence of war or the absence of conflict, essentially. Jesus is talking about an everlasting, abiding peace that goes so deep that no matter what happens to you, no matter if the mountains shake and the earth falls into the heart of the sea, you know, there was a, an earth, a earthquake again yesterday in Indonesia. I mean, these stories could stress us out. You know, all of the school shootings, all of the horrible things that take place, the government shutdown, the, the coming economic crisis, all of these things, they, they could really stress us out, except we have a God who loves us and who cares for us, and he has promised that he would give us peace. Jesus is saying, I will give you peace. But we doubt. We're like Zechariah, we're like... I don't think you know the situation, God. I'm pretty sure you don't know what's going on in my life. Yes, he does. He is not freaking out over it. He is not, he is not upset. He's not stressed out. He's not perplexed or confused. He knows the situation. And all he's asking of us is trust and do what I say. Trust and obey There's an old song, you know, those of you who have known the Lord for many years, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to, yep, good theology right there, that's good theology, there's no other way, there's no other way to rest, there's no other way to to have your anxiety dispelled, except through trusting. Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand how you're going to work this out, but I know that you're good, and I know that you're going to work it out. And so he is imploring us to trust that he can give us peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's saying, don't be anxious. Don't be stressed out. Trust me. I am good. Come to me and I will calm your anxiety. It says in Colossians 3.15, we're going to start a series after Christmas in Colossians, the, the hidden treasures, the mysteries that we can find in the book of Colossians. And it says here, it says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. What this word rule means is not just like... A, um, I've, heard, I've heard several different analogies. It's kind of like an umpire. Say or out. <laughs> Don't like that one. But the umpire that makes a judgment call or makes a call, but it's also like, like guards that are set around your heart. That his peace is like, it surrounds your entire soul. And it's like you're, like you're coated You're covered in his peace if you believe. 
You have to believe it. You have to trust. It says, for as members of one body, you are called to live in, you're called to live in peace. Isn't that such an awesome promise? I mean, think about the things we could be called to do. God could call us to live in many things. He could call us to be his slaves. He could call us to be his, only his servants and like his underlings. But instead, he calls us to be his friends. And as members of one body, which is the church, capital C church, the body of Christ, all other believers, it says he has called us to live in peace, which to me implies that sometimes we need to remind each other don't we? When you see your brother or sister in Jesus freaking out over something, remind them. You know, Eric always used to say, God's got this. God's got this. Whenever people would be freaking out, and sometimes he was the one that was freaking out, but then he would ultimately come to the point where he'd be like, you know what? God's got this. And guess what? God always has it. Every time he's always got it in the palm of his hands, in the, in the little grain of sand that we are, in the palm of his righteous right hand. And it says, always be what? Always be what? Is that just when you're at peace or when things are all going right or everything's going your way? Bank accounts, fat, getting along with everybody, feeling good, healthy? No, that's not when you're called to be thankful. You're called to be thankful when it's a challenge when it's difficult to be thankful. You know, I'll never forget the day that I, that I finally came to terms with the fact that my husband was gone and I was actually able, able to give thanks for that. Not because I was glad he was gone, but because I trust the Lord. And if there is nothing else I can ever teach you guys, it's that God is faithful His promise still stands. Great is his faithfulness. We are still in his hand. This is our confidence. He's never failed us yet. And I'll leave you with this, Philippians 4, 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Some versions say, have have no anxiety about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I really believe God is calling us into a season of deep prayer. Not just prayer like, you know, the arrow prayers that you shoot up. Hey, God, help me have a good day. But deep and abiding and intimate prayer. And, and every single one of these chairs has been prayed over this week. We have been calling on the name of the Lord to come and to do a miracle in each and every person that comes in here. So expect God to do something in you. Expect it. Don't worry about anything. Instead... It's saying, so instead of stressing out, pray about what? Pray about what? Everything. Everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and do what? Again, be thankful. Thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. This is an if then. If you're not anxious and if you pray about everything and thank him, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace, 
will guard your hearts. Again, that same word, it'll surround your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. So this Christmas season, um, it's, it, I just think it's so amazing that the whole Christmas story involves so much stress, so much anxiety and confusion and, and people that are just, they don't understand. And I know that there are some of you out there and you, you don't understand your circumstances. You don't, you don't know how God's going to deliver you. You don't know how he's going to come through for you. But I promise you, he has never failed you yet. He has never, ever failed. God has no flaw. And he is there for you. And his desire, he longs to give us this gift of peace. So can we just invite him to do that for us? Can we just not allow the anxiety and the stress and all of it? Can we just cast it upon him and trust? Can we trust and obey? Can we do that? Can you stand? Well, Lord, we come before you, God, and and we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Lord, you're the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father who cares about his children. And you are our Prince of Peace. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise, God, that no matter what happens. You are always faithful. Lord, you are always for us. You are always good. And you have promised that you would give us peace in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we receive your peace. Can you just receive his peace right now? Lord, we just receive your peace. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give as the world gives, Lord. Thank you that you give us the peace that goes beyond understanding. Lord, and that same peace is what will guard our hearts and our minds in you. That is the same peace that will cover over us. Lord, thank you that you have promised to give us peace if we know you. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.